0: It's Flo, and this is my impression of a 1930s gangster using Progressive's Name Your Price tool. Yeah, see? This Name Your Price tool really lays it all out on the table, see? All I had to do was tell her how much I wanted to spend, and it gave me options in one place, see? Makes all of it easy to see, see?
1: It's easy to find insurance that fits your budget with the Name Your Price tool. Only at Progressive.com.
0: I might need glasses so I can see more when I'm doing gangster stuff, see? Progressive Casualty Insurance Company. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Welcome to the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Use the promo code RotoWire when you make your deposit for a free contest entry today. It is Friday, November 20th, 2015. Derek Van Riper here with Mario Puig. No Thursday or Friday shows coming up with Thanksgiving next week. We'll try to jam in a lot more content into the Wednesday pod. So we'll give uh, Joey Pods and Mike Doria the day off, uh, I'm guessing, just to really move things along and maybe forego the injury report for for just one week uh the great jag off on thursday night jags titans really a a great game that i refuse to watch a lot of injury chatter to get to and of course the week 11 millie maker preview this might be the week mario this might be the week that i become a millionaire and move to an island i'm quite confident that i'm going to do that
2: uh not to be bringing bad news to you on this fine impending blizzard day
1: but uh yeah Two bits of bad news for you there, Derek. Everything's fantastic, though. One, it smells like barbecue where we're recording. We were moved out of the closet into a better space, actually. We should just sit in here every week because we're not within arm's reach of each other, which is kind of nice. And there Speaking are for windows. Yourself. Well, yeah, I know. I mean, there's the, the thing is like the NBA pod is more of the the touchy feely podcast, so I try to stay away from from the hoops guys and and let them just do their thing and focus more on on this podcast. But nevertheless, the Thursday night game happened, and I guess we are obligated it maybe to someone, maybe our sponsors or the internet as a whole to briefly discuss it. Can we just confirm that it happened and then skip it or? I want to. Okay. Uh, there, there's photographic evidence of the Colonel Mustard Jags jerseys that they were uh, sporting. And I don't know why they're doing this on Thursday nights with like the all one color uniform. They, do they know no one's watching or something like that? I think it's a test. Oh, okay. I, just, think, I think they're like... They're, it's they're, the thing in the 15-page essay that says just seeing if you're reading this. The Yeah, the NFL is like calling BS on the Nielsen ratings. They're like, this technology is so outdated. Let's just find out if people are actually watching these games. And then they get the, the backlash on social media because the uniforms are ugly. Or in week 10, because if you were colorblind, you couldn't really see which team was which. which the more people awful. complain on Twitter about the uniforms, the higher they charge advertisers next week. You know, until until the market shifts again, I think when you complain on Twitter, it actually still does carry weight. With a lot of organizations whereas if you write like a handwritten letter no one's ever going to read that so people over 55 who complain about ridiculous things when they send a letter to the station manager of their local tv station it never gets read but the young person who tweets complete nonsense when they're hammered drunk watching tv that causes someone to maybe lose their job or get a huge promotion if you spend a long time working on a thoughtful letter handwritten
2: and mail it in There's no way to have the retweeted by 453
1: morons thing attached to it, or at least technologically we haven't gotten to that point yet. I know. I, I wish I I could take a class, perhaps, on on how to write better tweets to get more retweets. That would make me feel a lot better. Skip that part myself. and just host the class yourself because who's going to figure it out? Anyway? <laughs> no one's going to know that there's not really an expert in, in that particular field. Uh, Jags won this game 19-13, and I, again, I will willingly admit I did not watch a snap of this game because I did not want to watch a snap of this game, and I think I made the right choice. I think anything I could have done for three hours would have been more productive then watch the Jags and the Titans. Titans probably falling out of the AFC South race now at 2-8, but not necessarily mathematically eliminated because, hey, AFC South is just the land of opportunity. Uh, the Jags are 4-6. and six If if the Colts lose this week, if I'm not mistaken, they'd be tied at 4-6, and six, but the Texans, of course, could uh, win against the Jets and, and really mess everything up for us. Anyway... Antonio Andrews continues to chip away with like, these sort of useful games, 15 carries, 78 yards. I mean, I, I saw the joke, I think it was from, from Sigmund Bloom on Twitter, saying that Antonio Andrews is the back that the Titans thought they were getting when they signed Sean Green to a three-year, $10 million contract, which it felt, it felt right. It just felt like the right joke yeah I don't I still don't really think that Andrews is very good even
2: even with his he has had two good games in the last three weeks one of them was against the Saints one of them was against the Jaguars so uh, I don't think he's very good he's still even in this so-called pleasantly you know surprising season 3.8 yards per carry so uh,
1: I expect David Cobb to push him aside whenever health permits David Cobb getting his first chance to play last night four carries minus three yards Got to let the man get into a rhythm. Come on, Mike Malarkey. Like, let's let's be real about this. Uh, Marcus Mariota actually ran a little bit last night. Five carries, 29 yards, and a score. He was 22 of 35 for 231 yards through the air. No TDs, no picks. Very rainy conditions in this game. As the pass catchers go, it was Delaney Walker and not much else for the Titans. Eight catches, 109 yards on team-high 10 targets. It was the Allen Robinson show for the Jags. Five for 113 on seven targets. The TD streak for Allen Hearns came to an end. Three for 19 on four targets for Hearns. TJ Yeldon coming off that injury, limited to just 14 carries. He had 54 yards on the ground, uh, 28 yards on three receptions, so mediocre performance from him. And Blake Bortles finished 21-30 for 242, a score and a pick. Both quarterbacks sacked four times in this one. Uh, and again, really a, a game that if you watch from start to finish, you deserve some kind of trophy.
2: Yeah, I haven't watched any Thursday games this year, and it's just paying off marvelously so far. Uh, but yeah, this, this especially was one to steer clear of, even though I do, I do really, some of my favorite young players are on these two teams with, uh, Mariota and Allen Robinson, but,
1: um, yeah, it's just, it's just not worth the suffering. Allen Robinson seems like he is good enough to make Blake Bortles an average quarterback, like a I think, statistically average. quarterback. I think
2: Bortles can be pretty good eventually, but yeah, I think, I, think, I mean, Allen Robinson turned 22 on August 24th and he's. I mean, I think it's easy to argue that he's closing in on top 10 receiver status. So I think he's going to be awesome. I I think he's got a very high ceiling that he hasn't quite
1: reached yet. Moving on to uh, the more important elements of, of week 11. Before we get to the most important aspect of week 11, we're going to talk injuries here. For the next few minutes uh, Antonio Gates considered probable he's dealing with knee and hip injuries uh, his teammate Ladarius Green is questionable given the number of injuries the Chargers have at receiver there's gonna be no Malcolm Floyd obviously Keenan Allen is out for the season on IR it seems like as long as Gates is healthy enough to hobble out onto the field he's going to be in the eight to ten target range with relative ease week in and week out
2: yeah i mean i i don't know why they never made room for ladarius green but i guess the one explanation would have been was just they're just so infatuated with gates um he's he's a really good player obviously but as as far as like you know daily daily fantasy scenarios i'm still creeped out enough by his injury and age combination to probably stay
1: away more often than not Looking here at a few other uh, important injuries, Darren McFadden listed as questionable for Sunday's game against Miami, although Clarence Hill of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram saying uh, McFadden uh, believes he'll be good to go. So the questionable tag, probably more of a probable designation. We'll see if anything materializes there. You've got Robert Turbin and Rod Smith as the backups there. Smith actually probably ahead of Turbin right now, given that Turbin was just added to the roster. think within the last 48 hours now uh, is rod smith actually a useful prospect or is it just the case of the cowboys continuing to like dumpster dive in seattle that's
2: difficult to answer because rod smith
1: kind of just kept getting
2: like dog housed slash kicked off the ohio state team and never really played there Uh, but he was perceived as very athletic for a 230 pound running back prior to that and he was reasonably productive in the few chances he did get but it's it's i I don't know what i don't know what kind of comparison there is to make for him but uh it's it's kind of an unprecedented prospect situation i can't find even any workout numbers
1: on him so yeah totally just a, a guessing game at this point but darren mcfadden as a model of both health and consistency uh probably won't let anyone down like he let me down last week undraft king so i I mean nothing to see here with rod smith actually i'm kidding you should stash him away because it could flip at any time it'll take mcfadden coming up lame or making that groin injury worse did they already did
2: they sorry did they already cut trey williams or something he he was the guy who i I thought that they were going to use him to be like the, the new lance dunbar because he's small fast running back who can catch and return kicks and stuff um like they signed him off the Washington practice squad. Anyway, I mean, if everybody's talking about, I mean, I like Turbin to eventually take that backup job pretty decisively eventually. But uh,
1: yeah, in the meantime, if no one's talking about Trey, then I guess it is just Smith and Turbin. You know, what's weird is that Trey Williams is on the depth chart. No one does talk about him. And our depth chart goes from one, two to four and five. There's no number three guy on the Cowboys depth chart. Like Joseph or Randall like took the three with them. Oh, yeah. I don't know.
2: anyway I am I guess it's none of those guys are likely to do anything even if McFadden gets hurt there might be some kind of like stupid rotation there
1: Eddie Lacy's been dealing with a groin injury he is probable for Sunday's game against the Vikings which it probably doesn't matter given the current state of the Packers backfield but I, I, I was never as high on Lacy as the masses were I mean there was a point where people were arguing him as the number one overall pick and at the same time I'm not as low as everybody is on him right now I'm kind of just taking more of a middle ground stance on him where I, I think he always looks a little heavy. I think being in Wisconsin especially, he will look heavier forever compared to how he looked at Bama. There's just a lot of cheese here, and I assume Eddie Lacey eats a cheese. A lot of reasons to stay inside. Yeah, there's not much to do outside in Green Bay, to be honest. I think we can fairly say that as people who have uh, lived in this state for a long time. So it, it's just one of these things where it's like people are going to always go to the He's fat narrative anytime he's not playing well. But when he's playing well, it's going to be like a case of, well, he's a great physical inside runner because he can break tackles.
2: Right. Here's the thing, though. That guy has a gut. And like even you're not you can't have a gut if you're a running back or receiver. Like you can have a gut if you're a lineman because that's it's hard to get over like 320 pounds at like seven percent body fat or something. So yeah, those guys get to have guts. But when you're a running back, that can't happen. And the thing is, he is bigger than he was at Alabama. Like he was he was in like 215 to 220 pound range. At Alabama, And he not coincidentally looked much faster and quicker for it. Like he had fast feet in college and in the pros, like he's, he's faster than he should be for someone his size, but he still shouldn't be that size. Like, but I, I don't know what to make of that. Like, I'm not confident that he'll get in shape just cause he got benched. I mean, if they weren't cracking a whip all that time, why would that change? Like he obviously was not invested in his, his health enough to do it before. Um, unless he's a prideful person like he might just be kind of content with that um, but yeah i don't know what to make of that i'm gonna stay away in fantasy until something seems a little more sure with
1: that situation maybe a season-long buy really low just in case james starks breaks down which again you talk about running he gets backs hurt ex- a lot yeah you get extensive injury histories there uh, question though pertaining to the alabama running back right now derrick henry Is that what Eddie Lacey looked like at Bama? I mean, Henry Henry just faster.
2: Henry's a more freakish athlete than Eddie Lacey was. Um, I... I I haven't watched enough of the film, and, and workout tests will also uh, narrow my opinion a bit eventually. But my early, my early inclination is to say that Henry is better than Lacey was coming out. But I considered Lacey like a top 15 raw grade player in his class. Not that I would have taken him top 15 because running backs aren't worth it. But I thought he was really, really good. And I think he looked a lot better as a rookie. And even last year than he did this year. Like, he's got to be pushing like 250
1: pounds right now. Like, there's no way. If you think about, like, okay, so you have a heavy guy who gets an ankle injury. It makes me think immediately of John Clay, who was a former Badger running back, and he had two ankle injuries. You want to
2: know the sad thing? He got I really think La- big.
1: I think Lacey's fatter than
2: John Clay was. Really? Yeah. John Clay was pretty big. <laughs> I mean I when I saw Clay, I saw I saw a guy who was bulky as well as a little bit too layered. But Lacey, I don't even like there's no tone in that guy's midsection at all. It's just like a pillow. I I don't know. He's he could obviously like throw weights, including me, like many hundreds of yards, but uh he he's not trim despite his you know strength that is otherwise
1: present yeah, it seems like he is refusing to do inclined sit-ups for some reason which really aren't that bad once you get into a routine uh des bryant by the way is probable if you're worried about his status uh, look, looking back at the cowboys uh, john brown's been banged up for a couple of weeks hasn't been productive when he's been on the field bruce arian says tough crap in in his way which is certainly more interesting than saying tough crap uh game time decision though for Sunday's game against the Bengals even if he plays just given how things have shifted uh, given that Michael Floyd is also a game time decision but has been more productive than Brown over the last couple of games they both played do you just stay away from both these guys well if one is active
2: and the other is not that changes things but obviously this is a late game so I, I don't I don't know how to handle that because it on the one hand it seems highly unlikely that both are out so you can if you have enough money available to switch to either as necessary that could be one way but on the other hand I I kind of I kind of feel like it would be more likely just because it's more inconvenient that they would both play and neither one able to like truly you know s- truly able to spread their wings as a result. So I don't know. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go after that, but uh, Floyd, by the way, has been very impressive lately. So if, if he is able to play, he would definitely be my preferred one just because he's, he's, he's rolling right now. And the thing is he's doing what he was kind of supposed to do all along. It's not like this is something that his size, athleticism and past production didn't project to occur. This is something everybody thought would
1: happen last year. Yeah. It's almost as though having three dislocated fingers in training camp in the beginning of the regular season, maybe like caused him to not that much in the early weeks of the year.
2: Perhaps. Yeah. One thing that he'll always be hurt a lot, like even at Notre Dame, he was hurt a lot, but when he is on the field, he has the
1: ability to dominate. So good news. Jets fans. Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to play again. Sunday He's coming off of thumb surgery on his non- Throwing Thumb, so that's also good for Eric Decker owners and Brandon Marshall owners alike. On the other side of that matchup, Brian Hoyer has officially been ruled out due to a concussion, so there's definitely a chance he'll be back next week, but he's not playing here in Week 11. The unflappable TJ Yates will make his first (laughs) regular season start since the 2011 campaign. Uh, TJ Yates in a two-quarterback league, that's happening for me in the Stopa League this week. I'm going to get about six points for my super flex. I'm really looking forward to that. Six unflappable points. Yeah, they're going to be six really gritty points, though, so maybe it'll be enough to put me over the top and get another win there. Uh, Adrian Peterson's probably has got a hamstring injury. Nothing to worry about there. The Bears have a couple of injuries I'm concerned about. Uh, Matt Forte was limited at Friday's practice. He is listed as questionable to play against the Broncos, and, and the way he was talking about the injury earlier this week, it seemed as though um, they were going to err on the side of caution. Perhaps, especially with Jeremy Langford being a competent backup or a seemingly competent backup at least. More than yeah, he looks really good. Well, the thing is, Jeremy Langford was stuck behind Le'Veon Bell at Michigan State. Le'Veon Bell arguably is the best running back in the league right now when he's healthy. And then Langford had two good years at Michigan State as the lead back and then had a good combine on top of that.
2: He did, he did. There there I was slightly concerned about him though, because actually the year that he broke out. They uh, broke training camp saying Riley Bulo, the brother of Max Bulo, would be the starting running back, and then he eventually gave way to Langford, obviously, and also moved to linebacker, so that was a little concerning that he was like not beating out these really lame running back prospects to start, but it, it, it might have had something to do with that. He was, I guess, a corner initially in his Michigan State career, so maybe it took him a while just because of the position switch, but obviously, he is uh, he is well-suited to the tasks that he's been
1: getting in the NFL, so... His teammate, Elshon Jeffrey, um, did not practice Friday. He's also listed as questionable. It looks like probably a game time decision situation. But this is a tough matchup anyway. And in season long, if he plays, you use him because he's talented enough where you just got to have him out there because he can beat anybody. Uh, but as far as his daily considerations go, do you just stay away from Jeffrey because the matchup is that bad? Well, it. I
2: might, I might go with him. Anyway, regardless of matchup, just because he gets so many targets and he is so good and really he's impossible to cover if the ball is high enough in the air like he can just go up and rip it down no matter who's on him. But uh, the reason I won't be picking him is because there's a guy like Amari Cooper. the same price and a much better matchup um, and, and with a similar prominence in his offense. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to pick Jeffrey this week, but if he's in, it would not surprise me if he does well, because it's just so easy to imagine him getting like, you know, 12 targets or
1: something. A few other names to throw at you. We just found out Aaron Rodgers is probable to play Sunday against the Vikings. Packers offense has been sputtering for a few weeks now. Everything was off in that game against the Lions. Rodgers was missing throws. Uh, receivers were dropping passes. It seemed like the officials were letting the Lions DBs get very handsy which the Packers did not handle very well. They were constantly just screaming for calls, and it, it just it seemed like mentally they weren't about making plays themselves. They were just trying to get a call and, and have that kind of get the momentum going, which I, I don't really understand why that would be your, your main game plan. I mean, it's McCarthy, I guess, so what do you expect? But it, it, anyway, you look at the Packers' offense right now, some people are, are really freaking out in terms of their production It still wouldn't surprise me if things started to click down the stretch and Rodgers was a top three quarterback the rest of the way, or even the best fantasy quarterback the rest of the way. Is it as likely as we expected going into the season? Probably not. I mean it's clear they do miss Jordy Nelson and the offensive line. I think this is the bigger thing. The offensive line good. has been banged up, like really banged up and not playing well. And I think so many times we look at teams and we just pretend like the offensive line doesn't matter. I mean look at San Diego with Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon is not a bad player. The Chargers have a horrible offensive line that can't run block. I mean that's ultimately what that comes down to. We can't blame Gordon for how amazing Danny Woodhead is. Like it's not you
2: gotta have perspective on these things. Um yeah, I, I, I don't know what uh i can't i can't claim to know what's going on with the packers offensive line as far as injuries but i do know every time i've watched them this year the tackles like reliably on a you know probably like seven times out of ten they seem to give up the collapse pretty quickly and rogers always has to get creative in the pocket which probably takes away from his ability to look downfield um although he's still great at it and he always keeps his eyes downfield but yeah every this is the this is the most fallible i've ever seen rogers even going back to his first year as starter which is pretty messed up well, it's all Olivia Munn's fault, obviously. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Right. It's, yeah, Cabo is why the
1: Cowboys didn't win the Super Bowl that one year. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Cabo. It's uh, it's funny to me that people actually go to this. Like, well, she's a distraction. It's like what? Like, what are you talking about? It's not like Roger skips practice to go ride his motorcycle with Olivia Munn. Like, well, while,
2: while that is awesome, that people say stupid things like that, it's not quite as good in my opinion as when uh, like. A player has an opinion about anything, and people say, You know, you spend less time talking about that and more time being good at football or something. Stick to football. I suppose you were already done with practice, but I'm going to pretend that, you know, there's just this room you go to to get better at football,
1: and you should be there right now, not talking to anyone or something. Our 11 listeners uh, didn't really reach out on Twitter, but Nick Whalen and I talked about it a little bit on Monday. Packer fans. Sadly, um, at least sadly to me, may be a lot like the St. Louis Cardinal fans in baseball, where like the sense of entitlement and just the absolute ridiculous statements that come out after something doesn't go well, like they're they're that end. Like you're you're at a point. If you're a Packer fan, you really have nothing to complain about. Like it, it, regardless of how long you've been alive and how long you've been a fan, they've been good for much more than they've been bad and if you're a younger fan they've been good pretty much your entire life so you have no grounds for complaint when they go through a three-game losing streak or when they lose a 24-year winning streak over the lions at home like it's like they forgot the last 24 years happened because they lost in a sloppy close game one time
2: yeah i i actually haven't seen those people but i i guess we can't you know uh, assume that all the Packers fans are the ones who comment on the Journal Sentinel website because those are the worst people in the
1: world. I don't know what those people are exactly. Are but I imagine I imagine what the they PR, are, but I, I think if you looked at the St. Louis Post Dispatch comments on, under a Cardinals article, it would look exactly the same. And I, it pains me. It pains me to say that because. I knock Cardinals fans all the time because they have the the best fans in baseball moniker, and I think they're among the greatest a holes on the planet. That is to say, the worst of the Cardinals fans are the like the worst of all fans. Most Cardinals fans are benign, whatever they're fine. But it, I, I just look at this as one of these situations where it, it's never going to get better. Like the the expectations here in Green well, Bay and in Wisconsin are just so high for at this least, team. It's never fair.
2: At least there's this: if you go to Green Bay, the odds that you'll encounter like a a throng of you know completely unreasonable hostile people is pretty much zero like they're gonna it's more like you'll you'll the closest thing to an assault you're gonna get there is just like someone boring you with you know horrible small talk about the weather or something but, but they're, they're having
1: a blast but they're gonna share their food with you like yeah, they'll, yeah, be I mean. they'll I mean, like, yeah. offer you a burger and a beer they and might just be, be so nice you. they bore you to death but that's the closest you'll get to like a bad experience with those people so that's probably the difference that's probably why they're not like the Cardinals fans but that just think totally. so there are just some instances the entitlement seems very similar to me and I, I don't necessarily they'll, they'll get like over that. it
2: they, their whole thing is like they stop pretending they, 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 they pretend they don't care about the teams once they start being a lost
1: cause but until they're a lost cause, they're just very passionate about it. I mean, they're they're happy drunk until they're sad drunk, and then they come back the next week, and they're happy drunk again. That's, that's, the, that's the model. That's it. Kelvin Johnson's probable. Uh, he's been dealing with an ankle injury. No problems there. I like that matchup against Oakland. Uh, Brandon Marshall, we talked about Ryan Fitzpatrick earlier. He's probably been dealing with a toe injury. I like the idea of going after Marshall right now in a season-long league, because his target volume seems to be pretty stable. Fitzpatrick's thumb issue should get better over the next few weeks, and it looks like that jet offense is actually kind of legit I mean they're going to add Bilal Powell back to the equation so hopefully that just keeps Chris Ivory fresh I'm I'm worried about Chris Ivory breaking down I actually kind of like Bilal Powell as someone to stash away in season-long formats
2: yeah I did that in the stake league and never quite capitalized except for like a one week uh, seven and a half point outing from Powell but um, yeah Ivory is very brittle he always has been so that's that's an opportunity if, if, if uh he should suffer an injury again. As far as
1: Marshall, I guess the problem with him is like the price tag is already so high because he's been just awesome all year. Yeah, I think you're you're right about that. Uh Brandon Marshall, uh I should say I meant to say Marshawn Lynch is uh dealing with an abdominal injury. He didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday. Apparently the Seahawks are trying to keep him fresh, but my concern with Marshawn Lynch, it's like, yeah, sure, there's this benefit that people are going to stay away because he's banged up and maybe the workload won't be there, uh, but the ownership will likely be low. So like you get that, but then you have the possibility that the Seahawks open up a big lead against San Francisco. Thomas Rawls has proven to be a really quality back, and the, Seahawks, good. the Seahawks have no reason to give Marshawn Lynch 20 to 25 carries in a game that they're winning by 14 plus they can just run Rawls if they have a lead that is true I guess I guess the other side of that would be if they do have a big lead
2: their their team is built such that they rarely have a big lead unless Marshawn Lynch did something to get them there but the yeah the problem as you as you pointed out is that Rawls can get them there too so if they if they want they can just kind of pull Lynch or at least just give him a very modest workload and Rawls will will pick up the slack no problem
1: Emmanuel Sanders has been dealing with a finger injury it doesn't look like that's going to be a problem for him on Sunday so we'll see if he gets the official questionable or probable tag but probably going to be business as usual uh, for Emmanuel Sanders fantasy football just got a whole lot more interesting in week 11 DraftKings will be hosting yet another millionaire maker event with 1 million dollars going to first place and a total of 5 million dollars up for grabs Go to DraftKings.com now and enter the promo code ROTOWIRE to play for free with your first deposit on DraftKings. That's promo code ROTOWIRE for a free entry now with your first deposit at DraftKings.com. This isn't fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. Really important news, too, in case you missed this when you sign in to to play the Millionaire Maker this weekend, I want to make sure everyone on the pod knows Brandon Whedon. Has been acquired by the Houston Texans on waivers this week after being let go by Dallas. Uh, he will not accrue any fantasy points, so check your lineups. Make sure Brandon Whedon is not in your DraftKings lineup.
2: Wait, wait, what? What about the Texans? They they, they picked him up off waivers. Right? Yeah, they claimed oh, him okay. off waivers. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, it, it was amazing the number of people who you could find on Twitter who were complaining about Vernon Davis not getting points the week of his trade, even though there is that literally like red headline. Red, you can't miss it. I, I normally see I don't look at things that are red and in big you know letters and stuff normally because
1: I just assume that means you know everything's normal is what it says. So, I think. You, you, so you run a lot of stop signs, but you're still here, which is kind of amazing. Like that you've survived running stop signs your entire life. Yeah, and I didn't even pick Vernon Davis. It's still working. Wow, that's that is. That's just magic. There's no other explanation for how that's even possible.
2: But, yeah, good point. Whedon will not get any points for you guys, so
1: change your plans. Yeah, don't build around Brandon Whedon this week, Uh, and and I think things will work out just fine for you. So, uh, you know, we'll start diving in position by position here. Uh, Tom Brady, pretty much going to be the most expensive quarterback, I think, every single week. For sure. That's just the way it's going to go, because even if the Packers start to get back on track, you could price Rogers a couple hundred bucks below Brady, and it would make perfect sense. I mean, Brady's averaging 27.3 fantasy points per game on DraftKings this season. He's 8,500 with a home Monday night matchup against the Bills. Do you build around Brady or do you start diving into the cheaper quarterbacks? I am not going to go after Brady at that price.
2: I, I would never fault anyone for picking him because he is matchup proof, basically. And when he's at home, he, you know, goes into God tier every time, pretty much. But, uh, I'm uh, as we. I'm just gonna. I guess mention my quarterback picks when we get in a little later because they're lower on the price scale.
1: There, I saw some of the ownership numbers from the Thursday contest, and Aaron Rodgers was pretty low owned. He's seventy five hundred against not, Minnesota. Yeah, but.
2: I'm not gonna pick him. I'm so I, I like that team is just rotten right now. They could they could fix it in practice this week. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that they looked great. Obviously. But there's like yeah, the, unless that offensive line gets better, he's not going to have any running game help, and he's gonna he's gonna have less time to get it to
1: receivers who aren't getting open. Yeah, I mean, I, I see I see like a tournament appeal there, but he's not the first guy I would necessarily build around in a tournament yeah, right now. I mean, is, I'm not gonna okay. pick him. It, it's it sucks. I want to pick him. Matt Ryan is 7100 coming off a of buy home against the Colts. I mean, Matt Ryan at home quite a bit better than Matt Ryan on the road typically. Any consideration to go in with him? He's actually been worse at home in four home games relative to five away
2: games this year. Not that I am likely to take that. I'm not going to take that super seriously. He does quietly have two good games in a row after kind of slumping a little bit in there. Uh, I don't, I don't think that I really like him at that price that much. If, if, if he's more expensive than, you know, a Cam Newton, I'd probably just, you know, go away from him. Uh, I'm not that I'm going to be picking Cam Newton either, but it's just an example. He's not my, he's, he's one of
1: my least favorites in this range let alone a consideration for me, really. Cam's at home against Washington. Phillip Rivers home against the Chiefs, 6,900 each on those two. I think Rivers is kind of interesting. Even though he doesn't have Keenan Allen healthy, it seems like we talked about before, Gates is going to play. You know, Stevie Johnson will be out there. Uh, it's, it's a good enough group of pass catchers that Rivers can get it done, or I should say Rivers is just better than people give him credit for, and he finds a way to produce regardless of what's happening with his offensive line and with the talent around him. So, maybe there's something there because I think a lot more attention is going to be paid to Carson Palmer at 6,700 home against the Bengals on Sunday night. I think that's going to draw some interest. Maybe Dalton on the other side at 6,600. I think a lot of people are going to go after Derek Carr at 6,300 as a tournament option. But Tony Romo at an even 6,000 in his first game back against Miami is actually really intriguing to me.
2: Yeah, 6,000 is intriguing for him, but I am a little bit worried about what, it, even if he is at full strength. I don't trust Jason Garrett or whoever runs their stupid offense now to treat him like it. I think they're going to be careful with him either way, and I think that will manifest in you know low tempo, not you know seven step seven step drop backs. Um, a lot of Darren McFadden, certainly. So I'm probably not going to go after Romo. If I did, it would be in a tournament setting. And the thing is, I consider Derek Carr a cash game play at 6,300. So that's so cheap. And I'm I'm definitely gonna build probably like eighty percent of my lineups around Carr because I'm just sold on that offense and that brings me to the point I'm I'm stacking
1: Raiders. Yeah, the Lions uh, probably will go back to being the Lions in short order after that win at Lambeau last week. Russell Wilson's only fifty nine hundred. I know there's been a lot more famine than feast so so far so far so far. San Francisco that San Francisco defense is so bad. That seems like a really nice option if you want to save some money at the quarterback spot.
2: Yeah, I agree. His offense around him is a mess, obviously, but it it is it is at that price something that does intrigue me. But I guess I'm probably not likely to pick him again because I just I feel like Carr. Like I I, I I don't know whether this is stuff that people other than me already think, but like he's he's he looks like a top eight fantasy quarterback to me. And this week he's a what like one two three four five. 10, 12, well, he's, at least he's like, among he's like healthy the, guys. He's, like the, he's like the 12th most expensive, something like that. So I... I I really like Carr a lot, and obviously the Lions are not very good. So if, if they if they could if they barely shut down the Green Bay offense, even with Rodgers looking so uncharacteristically bad last week, I just I don't think they have the personnel or general disposition to stand up to the Raiders.
1: Well, let's go to the famous Dave's uh, email account here. We've got a, a great email from Chris B. He's from Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, he wants to know in his DraftKings lineup should you consider building around any of? Mark Sanchez, Brock Osweiler, or Case Keenum this week? Is this Chris Benzine? It it just says Chris B. Oh, wow. Um,
2: Anyway, yeah, Osweiler is 5,000, which is the minimum. And uh, that's kind of intriguing to me in GPPs at least because 5,000 is really cheap for a quarterback, and all he really needs is like 15 points, and it probably won't burn you that bad. Uh, I don't think the Chicago secondary is equipped to deal with two receivers like Sanders and Thomas. So probably not even Vernon Davis either. So I I like Osweiler's chances of a big time overachievement game in this setting but he could totally suck. So who knows, but it's not like he could, could he really be worse than Peyton Manning has been this year? I don't think he can awful. I don't think, I don't think Brian Hoyer could be as bad as Peyton Manning this year. I don't think, I think Manning's gotta be worse than like half of the backups, including Osweiler. Um, and I didn't like Osweiler. I bashed that pick when they took him in the third round out of Arizona state. Um, but he he, despite being uh, six foot seven, six foot eight, which is what the announcers will say the entirety of that stupid game, um, he can run a little bit too. So
1: it it lines up for cheap fantasy production. Really, a six eight guy or six seven and a half guy that can run. It sounds like he should be playing in the NBA. Um, I yeah, I don't
2: know anything about his basketball background, but uh, that is something that the announcers always fixate on. And
1: it gets old very quickly. Right, his height that he's they'll probably show him standing next. Well, they can't show him standing next to Peyton Manning Sunday because Manning will not be traveling with the team to Chicago, but I'm sure they'll show like still photographs of of Osweiler standing next to Peyton Manning in training camp and be like, look how much bigger Brock Osweiler is than Peyton Manning. Here are 101 things and how they stand relative to six foot eight quarterback Brock Osweiler. Yeah. So any interest though in in Sanchez at 5,000 against the Bucks or Keenum at 5,000 against the Ravens who have been extremely (laughs) generous to opposing passers this year? I guess I'm interested
2: in Keenum more than I am Sanchez because I worry with Sanchez that the problems of that Philadelphia offense are not that much to do with the quarterback position, even if the quarterback play, excuse me, has not been good, obviously. Whereas uh, I don't know with with Keenum, I'm I'm still not quite as as confident as I am with Osweiler. Obviously, he doesn't have as good of receivers to throw to, and B like they're not going to try to throw it. I assume like why not see if Gurley can single handedly win it for you? So and he and he might be able to. So yeah, I'm I guess I would I would rank the three one Osweiler to Keenum three
1: Sanchez. There you have it, Chris B. And thanks again to Famous Dave's for sponsoring our email inbox for this week. You want to sponsor our email inbox, please contact Derek at Rotowire.com. Let's move on to the running back position. Uh, Devontae Freeman, $8,400 leading the way home against the Colts. I saw the ownership numbers from him on the Thursday contest. They were through the roof. People are paying up. For Devonta Freeman, even though he's $800 more expensive than Todd Gurley against the Ravens and almost he's almost 2000, he's $1,600 more expensive than Adrian Peterson against Green Bay. I I know the Colts are, are bad against the run, but I don't think I can pay for Devonta Freeman this week.
2: Dude, how did Adrian Peterson get cheaper this week he was at seventy one hundred last week anyway that makes no sense sixty eight hundred is really tempting I did not go into this expecting to try to make room for Peterson but I also expected he'd cost a thousand more than what he does so that kind of changes my whole outlook a little bit um yeah I, I'm picking
1: Peterson out of those three I don't have to think about it yeah it seems like a pretty obvious way to go just based on the on the pricing the matchup packers on a per carry basis aren't good against the run Minnesota's going to give him volume 25 carries seems pretty safe for peterson this week i think he gets close to five yards of pops you're looking at maybe 125 yards at least one td maybe two i mean it, the, the good thing is like at 6800 he doesn't even
2: really need a touchdown to meet value for you because yeah i, I agree like the yardage from scrimmage should be there and uh in ppr scoring like what how many catches he's got 19 and 9 games so really not catching passes this year i mean he's catching he's catching like he's catching like two a game he's got three games in a row with two preceded by a game with three so i like his chances of you know getting especially that that 3.100 yard from uh rushing or receiving uh bonus there i like his chances of getting there even if he doesn't score although yeah like as you said i do like his chances of
1: doing that as well Marshawn Lynch 6700 not going to go there because of the injury concerns although it would be a nice price if you you knew he's going to get his usual workload Lamar Miller at 6200 a lot of people getting excited about Jay Ajayi including Dolphins coaches at least publicly suggesting that his role will continue to grow is that really just a case where they're going to try to run it more because they're protecting a lead or is it actually something that hurts Lamar Miller's value as we move into the back half of the season?
2: I don't think it'll hurt his value because I think Lamar Miller is an awesome running back. And I, I was very high on Jay Ajayi in the draft too, but it, I mean, we're, we're talking about Lamar Miller here. Who's got it's true that like in the new or- in new England game, he had only nine carries, but that was a blowout. And the rest of the time he's making up for that. Any, you know, disappointing rushing production with very active uh, pass catching role there. So I, I like Lamar Miller quite a lot at 6,200, and although I like Jay Ajayi quite a bit too, I I don't think that scares me off of Miller. I think what's more likely is they might change, they might divert their play calling a little bit more to the running game, or at least play calls that get Ajayi some touches in space in the passing game, something like that. But in other words, just something to accommodate them both because it's like... When, when they have so many pass targets going to Jarvis Landry, who I like a lot, I think he'd be a lot more productive if he had a better quarterback, but when they're giving so many targets to Jarvis Landry for like six yards a target it's like, that does not help the offense. That's a, that's a very clear indicator that you're not going to compete. Um, so yeah, it makes sense to take some of those targets that are going to Jarvis Landry at whatever horrible efficiency it is and just put it on the ground where
1: you're going to get like five yards a carry from Miller and Ajayi with no incompletions in the meantime other backs around that price point Chris Ivory uh, on the road against Houston 6,100 I do worry that Bilal Powell could take away some touches there I like DeMarco Murray at 6,000 Tampa's been pretty good against running backs or against the run at least yeah their but, run defense is
2: actually pretty decent
1: but for 6,000 I actually think that's a fair price on on DeMarco Murray and well Latavius Murray is 5,600 against Detroit I, I, I could go Murray Murray in the backfield
2: yeah I, I like Latavius quite a bit especially because if you believe like we both apparently do that the lions are not very good it gives the raiders a chance to be in the lead which is not something that happened last week when he had a disappointing game but um yeah i mean as far as demarco murray goes ryan matthews is out so that's another thing that could help and offset you know an inefficient day on the ground could be offset by just you know three more goal line carries than he
1: otherwise would have had. Or just gets wrecked because Kenyon Barner gets a carry at the Eagles 30-yard line and rips hey man, out a 70-yard TD They run. Got for that. Kenyon Barner, look out. <laughs> uh, Jeremy Langford's 5,600 if Matt Forte doesn't play, so that's a nice price too if you want to save a little money in the mid-tier. Uh, Darren McFadden at 5,000. He's officially dead to me. He was dead to me in season long coming into the season. Now I will never ever use him in DFS again.
2: That's unfortunate. This might be a decent game for
1: him. But, yeah, no, no, I'm not going to. This is, this is, this will be the reason why someone else wins the Millionaire Maker, whether that's you or one of our <laughs> awesome listeners.
2: Dolphins 31st uh, best team against running backs in
1: fantasy this year. Darren McFadden leaves this game with a first quarter injury. That That's how he's going to break everyone's heart this time if I have him.
2: No, that is true. I actually very serious. I got him out of all my cash game lineups last week and still didn't do that well. But I got him out of my cash game lineups last week because I was like, this is the week he gets hurt. I'm going to be picking him the week he gets hurt, which has to happen. But uh, anyway, I, I might not actually pick him just, but that's largely because I just, I like Latavius so much. And uh, the most owned running back on the slate, we haven't even gotten to yet. like Garrett blunt. Uh, nope. Sharkhandrick West is forty five hundred against the Chargers. Wow, yeah, that's that's the layup. I that's mean, like the fifty five percent owned guy.
1: It's gonna be crazy high ownership, but I think that price is so low that you, you <laughs> i un- not fading. You him. probably can't fade. Uh-huh. Like I, I don't, I don't blame you. What West costs less than Eddie Lacy and less than Jeremy Hill. Good. I mean, that's that's just bananas that he's that cheap. Uh, Sharkandrick West, realistically, based on what we've seen these last few games, should probably cost in low six thousands. At kind of the minimum, and he could cost. I would. I would say he should be closer to seven thousand yeah. right now. Like he could
2: be. He, like he's getting enough touches that if he becomes, if he just kind of like hits a new gear as a runner, if he just starts getting it, like it seems like he might have last week against a very good Denver defense on the road. Moreover, um if he goes, if he just starts to like really feel it, he could do a decent Devonte Freeman impression because he the, the carries and the catches are there.
1: Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty impressive, really, what he's what he's been able to do, especially seventy five carries in the last three games. By the way, and he was brutal. His first game as the starter, he scuffled. Like the Chiefs got blown out in that game, and he didn't do much. And there was concern that, hey, maybe this guy that everyone just paid a bunch of fab for, isn't actually any good. I should cheap. have gotten Christine Michael instead. He was cheaper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Christine Michael is the, always the way to go. Is he finally done getting chances, or are the Browns? Oh gonna yeah, I, think, I mean,
2: if the Cowboys cut you, you're you're toast, my man. Unless
1: Cleveland comes calling, uh, I don't. I, I don't know. I think he's too fast for their taste. To be honest, <laughs> he, he has too much agility, too much speed. Uh, Jonathan Stewart, forty four hundred, always a decent play. I think the ownership rates stay pretty low. You you worry about the bookshelf stealing TDs. You worry about Cam dancing all over the place because obviously Cam dancing is like the most offensive thing that happens with NFL players. It's it's funny
2: how that whole thing uh, while not unpredictable given how stupid so many things are. Uh sounds so it's, it seems like satire because it sounds one to one like what people were saying about Elvis Presley and even the mom who complained about Cam Newton was obviously like she even she was probably like oh that's silly Elvis is great. So like Elvis oh, is great. Yeah, like this is it's just it's just amazing, but I love it that Cam Newton makes those people angry. I hope
1: he continues to do it. Carson Palmer pretty much goes Val Venus on the sideline. No one really cares. Juice Stanton no, Drew Stanton was also dancing. Oh, Valve! Like, I part- don't even know. Who- this is a wrestle. Is this an X ex- it's, it's D- like D- Generation? It's, like, X a, it's like a '90s wrestling thing. And the thing I've never understood <laughs> about like Val Venus and and Ravishing Rick Rude is that they're like the ladies' men. But it's like I only remember Triple H and Six Pack.
2: Right? Is this a different? This is pre. This is, I mean, I thought they invented that. Okay, never mind. Uh,
1: okay. Like it, it's it's just like who cares? Like I mean, it, it, like the the number of things that nfl players do off the field and then even just like the best example I saw in the response to the Tennessee woman was a photograph in the article of like Titans cheerleaders wearing Daisy Dukes and like bending over which yeah, we- it's like your, your your daughter like it's okay for your daughter to check that out but Cam like dancing around fully clothed is just <laughs> offensive to you like come on like well, why are people just why are people so stupid why are people so racist like, well, it's well outrageous
2: well, well not only that but to be fair Derek there are no other things in this country or the rest of the world that are worth getting madder about so you got to give them that it's kind of reasonable to fixate on cam newton when everything else is so peachy in the world
1: yeah the world is pretty solid otherwise so we should focus on on cam and, and, and other players dancing too but mostly mostly just Cam. yeah uh, matt jones four thousand uh, dollars never know what to make of that washington backfield even though he seems to be pretty talented i don't think i'll have him anywhere which could be to my detriment but carolina's defense is pretty solid i guess the only path for washington to stay in that game is having guys like Jones and Alfred Morris run the ball really well.
2: Yeah. And I don't know what kind of odds they have to pull that off, especially on the road. And like Matt Jones, especially that he had such a huge game largely because of that, you know, 78 yard catch for a touchdown, which I don't know if that's really that much him as much as it is just bad defense, but whatever. I mean, again, it was the saints. Those two both disappeared for like a month before they played the saints. So I don't know. I'm not going to go after either
1: one. Yeah, the Saints really kind of cure all ills, I think, as far as offensive production goes. Ronnie Hillman still the starter in Denver. CJ Anderson looks like he's primed to take that job back, but Ronnie Hillman just 3,900 going up against the Bears. Melvin Gordon's 3,900. It's hard to get as many carries as Melvin Gordon has had this year in an offense that's actually decent like San Diego and to not score. I think this may finally be the week. I love the price on Gordon. I think I'm going to have him in at least one lineup. I think that makes sense, but I would definitely
2: keep it in a GPP just because I, it seems like they've lost the faith in him. Like they were, they were trying to give him the ball a lot, to f- like forcing the ball to him a lot early on just to go, you're like, come on, please don't get, please don't get us fired for trading up for you in the first round. And now they kind of
1: realize like, ah, there's no hope. Yeah, maybe it's a little bit like if someone buys a really nice new air conditioner in the summer and then like the heat wave they thought was coming never happens, but they run the air conditioner all day anyway, just to like prove like, hey, look, I've got this nice air conditioner. I should be using it.
2: I think it would actually be the heat wave gets worse and they refuse to go get a new air conditioner because they um, either
1: either either example. I think either way Uh, Darren Sproles. We mentioned him before possibly getting more touches 3400s full point PPR on DraftKings maybe Tampa being strong gets the run leads Mark Sanchez. To dump it down. What do you, what do you think about Sproles as a GPP? I, as a GPP, I mean, it's it's the cool thing about. What about this guy in a GPP? Is it's like you can't you can't argue
2: against it because the very reason that you don't like it is why you should pick him. Apparently, How about Tyler klutz in the GPP. <laughs> well, I won't say no, but I won't do it. Um. Anyway, yeah Sproles. I don't know what to make of that. Uh, they they aren't using him that much before the Matthews injury, and it's like Matthews doesn't do sprolls things, so. I, they might, ch- if they change their play calling somewhat, then yeah, there's room for Sproles. If they keep doing the same stuff, it just kind of seems like
1: Murray will just get whatever Matthews used to. Yeah, I, I, I like I said before, I, I liked Marco Murray this week, even though at first glance it looks like a pretty uh, tough spot for him. Let's move on to wide receivers. I initially had Julio Jones in a bunch of my lineups because I thought coming off the bye, especially he might be feeling really good. Then I looked at the price at 9300 some more and thought about some other players, and I, I stayed away from Julio Jones, uh, mostly because I think it's a chalky play that is going to cost you a lot. I mean, you never really feel like you're making a bad investment, but is there any chance that Vontae Davis can keep Jones to a more like a pedestrian set of numbers? We're talking like seven for 90 and no TDs. Is that that a possible outcome with that matchup? I'm not worried about the matchup. I think Julio
2: is not coverable at all, but uh, yeah. And what, what you said, him having a week to rest up is good because he's, he's done everything he's done this year, basically just, you know, limited practice time. Um, just cause he is a little bit injury prone. I don't think I'm going to have him very much. Uh, I mean, not on my cash game lineups. I don't think because it's, uh, I don't know. I, I really want to fit in Mike Evans this week. He's 7,300 and it's like, you can't, it's hard to fit in uh, you know, a 7,300 plus receiver and then Julio Jones later. So I probably won't have him that much, but it, it does it does appeal to me as a matchup because I do think it makes sense that him being rested with 22 catches in his last two games it could be in a position to just like really break loose, even if he's getting tight coverage.
1: If you really want to be contrarian, or if you really just want to be stupid, uh, DeAndre Hopkins at 8,800, matching up against Darrell Revis with TJ Yates throwing him the ball, you know there's going to be a low ownership number there because everyone's going to fear Revis. Uh, and Hopkins is a little banged up, but it sounds like he'll be fine health wise. Any reason at all to think about Hopkins? If you want to make him where you get separation, I think the downside there is you're spending a lot of money on the player that's differentiating you from the pack.
2: Yeah, I mean the the, the contrarian the the fade move obviously has a higher risk and lower payoff at that at that kind of salary. Like normally, the fade that's worth it is or, or sorry, I know I'm I'm thinking backwards, but um either way i don't i don't think the matchup is good enough and yates i don't think will be substantially worse than hoyer so i'm not really changing things that much it's just i'd rather just pay up for julio and otherwise like i i I feel like mike evans should be over eight thousand. so that's part of why i'm fixating on that so much he's going against the eagles and even if vincent jackson is back i just i I just like Evans a lot as a talent, and uh, I think they're going to keep feeding him targets. So that's, I guess, kind of who I am. I'm, I'm just incapable uh, intellectually of considering other wide receiver one types on DraftKings,
1: I guess. Yeah, AJ Green, it seems like the price hasn't really come down, even though the Bengals spread the ball around a lot. He's still at 7,700 against Arizona he is on
2: the road yeah right he's on twice the road, as
1: many fantasy points on the road which seems totally predictable um demarius thomas 7300 kind of interesting because the ownership may dip with brock osweiler even though he's probably better than peyton manning or let's say he's probably better than the 2015 version of peyton manning that we have seen um Larry Fitzgerald, 7,200, not bad, but I think he'll be a little bit chalky based on some of the Thursday numbers that were coming out. Elshon Jeffrey at 6,800 makes more sense if you want to go with that contrarian play. And again, you got to make sure he's actually active on Sunday. But as opposed to going Hopkins against Revis, if you go Jeffrey against the Broncos, you save 2,000 and you still get a lot of separation in your lineup with pretty good upside.
2: Yeah, I I have less worry about uh, Jake Cutler getting Jeffrey the ball, obviously, than Yates getting the ball to Hopkins. And I actually think Jeffrey's probably similarly talented. It's just they don't... The the Bears' offense isn't as hopeless as the Houston one, so they have a second option to consider when they're uh, distributing the ball. But if I was going between those two and they were both confirmed active, I would prefer Jeffrey, even if he was probably
1: like 800 more than he is. I would love for one of the movie studios to make a movie called Hopeless in Houston where Meg Ryan dates Texans head coach Bill O'Brien and tries to show him like that, that might be, the be like life, slanderous if he's married or something I'm, I'm assuming he's not if he is oh. all bets are off but in the movie you know it maybe maybe this could be like a time travel sort of thing I, I think he'd fit well in a time travel sort of movie like I, I think Bill B- O'Brien, Bill O'Brien if no like if Bill O'Brien it, 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 like, Hickory is the school from Hoosiers, right? Like, it's in the middle of Indiana. If, I haven't seen any sports movies except the Waterboy. That's fine. It's The, the listeners have probably seen Hoosiers at some point. Yeah. To me, Bill O'Brien, if you go back in time to when Hoosiers was filmed to make him the football coach at Hickory, he'd be wildly successful. Modern-day NFL not so much maybe maybe he can bring maryland to new heights once he gets fired by the texans but i think maryland's one of those programs where you're just going to kind of like spin in circles for a long time and in your good years maybe win seven or eight games and uh, play in the champ sports bowl if that's still a company and bowl game
2: penn state might just rehire him if he ever gets kicked out of houston That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? If you went back
1: to Penn State, it's, that's what he does best, apparently. I don't know somehow. Amari Cooper, sixty-eight hundred going up against the Lions. You like that? I like both him and Crabtree quite a bit. I, I
2: really, I that that's an offense that's pretty prolific right now against a really bad team, and it's it's an offense where the usage is somewhat consistent. Like it goes through those two receivers, and sometimes the running game isn't there, but if it is there, it goes through Murray. So. I I like the chances of them hitting you know all cylinders in this one and the good thing about it is again it's like you can know that it'll be those three guys aside from Carr if that happens. I'm
1: intrigued by a few other guys around this price tier though. Randall Cobb at 6,700 is at the spot where even if you don't want to go pay up for Rodgers, you get a share of that Packer offense. It's like if they have a good day offensively, he's probably going to be a big part of the reason why. Yeah, I just I I'm
2: so disheartened by that offense like those receivers are just not getting open and it's almost like they don't think they're going to get open either like they, they just they seem slow coming off the line they don't do anything once they get off the line it's i don't know I, I i it seems like his shoulder can't really be a problem at this point especially if he's not on the injury report at all but it everything just seems rotten there i think i really think what would help a lot is if they just put jeff Janice on the field and had him on the outside and just run a fly route every he's single so play fast. he's fast even if he sucks at everything else like the defenses clearly do not respect any downfield element on that team james jones is basically like a small tight end Devonte adams is not fast cobb is pretty fast but he operates in the slot and he does a lot of horizontal movements not really getting vertical at all so i think it makes sense to put janice on the field you know get a couple defensive pass interference penalties even if he can't catch he can probably get an interference call or something and then that probably loosens things up the whole rest of the game but right now they're playing like a 20 yard offense right now.
1: Yeah, that's very true. It would be interesting to see if Janice gets a few more snaps this week because he's been well, kind of a non t- tie Ty is
2: back, and Ty is explosive. Even if he's not much of a downfield guy, he's more after the catch than downfield. But Montgomery, he'll add something to that offense. It's just I, I think they really need to get someone who can push
1: the the boundaries a bit. Aaron Rodgers seems like a guy that's probably seen the Meet the Parents movie with you know Ben Stiller and, and Robert De Niro, and I, I think. If I had to guess, Aaron Rodgers has a circle of trust with his receivers, and I'm just not sure if, if Ty Montgomery is inside the circle or Ties outside. Ty is in. Ty is legit. I hope he is. He should be. Janice is not, but Ty is. Janice clearly isn't because Janice doesn't even get on the field. Like yeah, he's, he's only a special It That has to, to be like a Rodgers call. He's saying, like, not that guy. Nope, not that guy. That guy runs the wrong route too often. <laughs> And, I mean, so, so give him one only. But that, he can dude, do it. But that, that, here's my argument. It's like, I think that's what the Patriots do. I think the Patriots take their personnel and adjust their scheme to fit the personnel better than anybody. And if you have a great quarterback, which the Packers do, you can get away with that. Is it a case where Brady's less stubborn about it? Is he more willing to adapt to various players' strengths and Rogers wants guys to be a certain way? Or is that just some bogus narrative that I made up on the fly because I didn't know what else to say? <laughs> I like it. I'll buy I'll buy this narrative <laughs> this seems totally legit uh, Jordan Matthews at 6,000 ownership probably cooling quite a bit on him uh, it's a nice matchup against I, the Bucks I, I think I, just, I kind of like him in this matchup at that price
2: because a cover two scheme they tend to have their weaknesses down the middle of the field where the safeties in exchange responsibilities with the corners he plays in the slot and uh, it, it was one bad game, and that one bad game followed a game where he was heavily targeted, and otherwise he has been heavily targeted all year. So he caught three of the five targets for crap, yardage, whatever, true. But isn't isn't this exactly the kind of thing you would expect him to bounce back at least slightly from? And at 6000 it's not like he's prohibitively expensive anyway. I'll probably have him at least in, like, GPPs, but I'm kind of tempted... Uh, perhaps just because I'm extremely stupid, I'm kind of tempted to put him in a cash game lineup too.
1: But either way, I would not swear off him. I realized I was stupid today for the first time. I probably should have realized this a long time ago, mostly because I was talking about my lineup on the XM show with, with Chris Liss, and he was in a Thursday contest, and he was going through each player I had and telling me how heavily owned they were in that Thursday contest with respect to what was likely to be the case for, for Sunday, since those numbers typically carry over pretty pretty well. And I was just all chalk, which just made me feel like an idiot because I, I, clearly when I built my lineup, I wasn't even thinking through what's everyone else going to do and then what should I do? It was just like, what's the most obvious thing I can do? And if, if the herd mentality is on something, it's a bad idea. That's true. I got to do a better job of that too. And I, I don't know if I
2: suck at guessing what other people will pick because I haven't really tried it, which just shows what an impulsive idiot I am. But, uh, yeah, I got to try to do that. And I guess not go with those McFadden, Doug Martin picks like last week, which, uh, cause instead it's, it's, it almost seems like it would be a good starting point. Go with last week's chalk. Go with the chalk that didn't work last week. Yeah, no. Because then you
1: get Sharkhandrick West against the Broncos. Oh, sorry. Well, no, because then you can get like, it's like the last year's bum strategy. If you have players that have long track records of success and they go through a year, maybe they miss a couple games, injuries, maybe they just play hurt for a good portion of the year. Players around them impacted them. It's almost like drafting off a previous year's cheat sheet will lead you to value because you're going to find players that the market irrationally over corrects for in the case of of dfs i think it's more the ownership rates fluctuate because the prices don't swing that much from week to week it tends to be more gradual progression but then you find yourself getting separation on good players because they're guys that usually are pretty reliable who just happen to let people down the previous week sounds like you're picking mcfadden no i i would i would rather light myself <laughs> on fire than have darren mcfadden all right, on all my right. team well you, you just made a good argument for him though I know. So uh, that's why it's going to be a good play for everybody else. (laughs) Thank you. My gift to all of you is that I won't have him. So he can be good against the Dolphins this week. He'll have a great day. Selfless man. Yeah, I am. And and I'm going to pass out on the couch watching games in a rage because it's going to ruin my afternoon when he goes for like 140 and three TDs. And and I knew it was logically a good thing to do, but talked myself out of it because of spite, I guess.
2: And stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Eric Decker 5800 always a good deal. I don't know why DraftKings Price Master hates Eric Decker so much, but I like Eric Decker, especially He always at that price. gets you 15 but never more than 21. It's cool. I can yeah. live at that at that price. We'll take that return. Jeremy Macklin, 5000, sort of interesting against San Diego. Stephon Diggs at 5000 against the Packers. Sure, why not? Vikings will probably roll the Packers by 30 anyway, so <laughs> Stephon Diggs at 5,000 makes a lot of sense. Uh, Kamar Aiken, Sammy Watkins, two players with very different uh, skill sets, 4,800 apiece. Aiken, by default, just gets a lot of targets. Watkins, he's kind of like becoming the Darren McFadden of wide receivers for me where he's he's great when I'm not relying on him and he's awful when I need him. Yeah, he did, he
2: did uh, okay against the Patriots the first time they played. That was obviously in Buffalo. But, man, 4,800 is really cheap for a guy who you can easily imagine getting like 9 or 10 targets. I don't know.
1: I, I actually am kind of leaning toward Watkins as my third receiver in cash game lineups. Devontae Adams had 46 targets, I think, last week against the Lions. He's $4,600 on, on DraftKings this week, so you you may want to think about that if you think the volume might be there again. I kind of like Brandon LaFell again at $4,300. he would be the guy that let me down last week that I'd go right back to because... A lot of interest is is being focused on Danny Amendola, but I think Amendola can do part of what Edelman does, but he's not just Edelman. I mean, right,
2: it's, and it's, as much as Edelman is like a slot receiver, he is an exceptional one. Like he's, it's not like you can just oh, just get someone who's slow and usually doesn't drop the ball, and they can do that. Like he's obviously pretty explosive, and he's got good moves, knows how to get open. It, he it, he gets open like that. It's not just like the slot guy who catches it when he's because he just gets a little tiny bit of separation on the three yard hitch or whatever. Uh, yeah I, I don't think the Amendola is going to be able to replace him and I, I agree LaFell makes plenty of sense for a workload increase because he's generally been pretty efficient since he's been in New England like he's he's always had the questionable hands so he might not catch a super high percentage of the targets that go his way but at the end his yards per target touchdowns per target are good and that's a more important point like, no one gets excited about second and s- six, you know, but that's what
1: Amendola will get you, whereas LaFell can actually make some plays. Not surprisingly, no Malcolm Floyd for the Chargers this week. Stevie Johnson at 3,900 could be worth some consideration, too, if you want to save on the flex or that third receiver spot. Again, I, I assume almost everyone listening is playing Millionaire Maker. I'm thinking more in terms of GPP. Even in cash games, though, Stevie Johnson might open up a lot of interesting possibilities well, for the rest of your lineup.
2: He caught seven passes in his last game, and he's had the target opportunities this year, especially when you adjust for the absences of uh, the absence of Allen. And is Ladarius Green back yet, or he's questionable? Uh, okay, well if he's out too, then that's like another reason to expect a chance at like one or two more targets for Johnson. But yeah, at that price. I like that quite a bit and also that's an example of taking last week's chalk because there was that two week span where everyone thought he was gonna, you know, break loose while Gates was hobbled and it never really happened, even though theoretically it made perfect sense for it to do so and it
1: still does. Just like Stevie Johnson in week one was everybody's guy and he came through and, and then everybody promptly took credit for something that wasn't profitable for anybody. Like it's like it's like when you're playing categories and someone rolls a W and U.S. Presidents is the, is the line and you write Woodrow Wilson, but the entire room all had Woodrow Wilson, so it all just cancels out. doesn't make I you a genius. I would have picked George W. Bush because I, I, I guess I don't know who Woodrow Wilson was. If you make the W big enough, I think that is an acceptable answer in that game. Uh, let's go on to the tight ends here. Rob Gronkowski, 7,700. Mm, how about how about Gronk this week? Or are you gonna go with like Greg Olson against Washington at sixty two hundred?
2: Well Gronk makes a, a ton of sense. It's at home where Brady averages a touchdown every three passes or whatever. Every and,
1: three passes And that's and,
2: awesome. uh, and no, that's not true. Uh <laughs> sorry. It's a good rate. That was an exaggeration. Uh but yeah, with Edelman out, I mean we, we might see like 10 Gronk targets and that's at least six touchdowns if that happens. So I uh, like Gronk a lot. I'll try to make room for him. I don't know if I'll succeed in that uh, just to spoil the ending here. I'm picking Zach Ertz again. He was 3000 last week. He's 3100 this week. He's caught five, four, five, five and seven passes on his last uh, five games. What's three plus two. Yeah, five. And um, he hasn't scored a touchdown yet this year. I feel like that's a pretty screaming example of a stat correction about to happen especially going against a cover two defense um, so yeah I like Zach Ertz quite a bit even as like a I, m- I might try to go like a Zach Ertz or uh, you know Gronkowski Ertz tight end flex combo because I think that's just
1: such a great value there yeah I think Jordan Reed at 4,900 continues to be a little underpriced too so he's kind of intriguing if you want to go tight end uh, or, or tight end flex uh, Kelsey at 4,700 is not bad and Jimmy Graham ownership's probably fallen off quite a bit. This is a decent spot to use him against San Francisco. He's also 4,900. So tight end's not that bad this week. It actually lines up pretty favorably whether or not you want to try to squeeze Gronk into the mix or not. I think Gronk could be a <laughs> great name for him, to be completely I honest. I
2: actually really like Gronk, yeah. Let's go
1: on to the defenses and, uh, well, special teams technically is a part of it, but no one cares about special teams, even no. though they can get you a lot of points. Uh, Seattle at 4,000 against Blaine Gabbert at home. Chalky, probably going to get 20, 25% ownership there. The Broncos against Jay Cutler might draw some interest. Uh, the Rams against the Ravens maybe get a little bit as $3,600. But the two that I think are, are somewhat intriguing, uh, I like the Jets at 3000 going up against TJ Yates, even though they're on the road. And if you really want to go against the grain or just save a lot of money on your defense and try something and hope that it works... The Bears are only two thousand against the Broncos this week, and it's Brock Osweiler, so you just you just never know what if Osweiler comes out and he just like overthrows everybody and, and the bears' safeties end up with seven picks wow um i I mean that could happen
2: and tall if you <laughs> didn't throw downhill it's going to happen. It'd be funny if there was like one six foot eight quarterback ever in the NFL and like his only pass was an interception. So that just threw off all the data models and says like, you know, the bears are going to get that many interceptions this week. Uh, I don't think, I don't think the bears will do that well. I think their personnel is just garbage. Um, I am interested in the Eagles as kind of a contrarian defense just because they're at home and Jameis, while he's getting better, is still going to be turnover prone and inconsistency prone. Uh, the Eagles, even regardless of matchup, put a lot of heat on quarterbacks, uh, create a good number of turnovers despite the yardage they hemorrhage at all times. Um, but yeah, I, I like I like the Eagles a little bit. I'm going to try really, really try, though, to just get the Seahawks in every single one because it's defenses always kill me when I try to get creative. And I feel like this is one of those few weeks where it's like you I'm going to drinks it. But, you know, they can't screw this up. They cannot do it. It's 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 impossible they're at home the 49ers are the worst thing ever watch, I, i'm watch,
1: sorry guys i ruined it i know watch tory smith catch like four passes for 150 yards and three touchdowns and, and and seattle like loses to san francisco which i would actually even if seattle was in all my lineups i'd be so happy about Dude, that it wouldn't even care if it ruined if, my lineup if that really.
2: happened i'd be like touche and then i'd go drink myself into a even dumber state than I currently am in with really cheap whiskey or, or like PBR or what? I haven't been in a place that dark yet, so I don't know for certain, but I might,
1: I might go for the OE. (laughs) I think that's going to wrap things up for the uh, week 11 version here of the Rotowire fantasy football podcast and Friday installment. Of course, um, A lot of ground covered there. Hopefully you enjoyed it. We appreciate you listening to the pod. It's brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Use the promo code ROTOWIRE when you make your deposit for a free contest entry today. You can also check out the site for free for the next 10 days by going to ROTOWIRE.com slash pod. The ROTOWIRE Fantasy Football Podcast will return Monday.